0: Welcome back to the Consequences podcast with Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy. Well, Paul, after my lacklustre contribution to our deceptive tourists, Absolutely, oh, hardly. hardly. <laughs> I have to confess to being really up for this one. Looking at the second and third Godly and Cream albums. I really, really like these two records, particularly L, which had it had just an extra sprinkle of verse, chorus, verse, chorus, melody, and more accessible pop sensibilities, would be right up there for me. I I hold it kind of uh, on a par with Deceptive Bends, really, in terms of... Uh, enjoyability, but the inventiveness is so fabulous and to my individual tastes so much more satisfying and deeper than what the new 10cc were achieving in the studio. I think it it, it could have been a a, a really fantastic piece of work, instead I think it's a fascinating piece of work and very enjoyable from where I sit.
1: L is a rare record in that it might be more interesting to talk about and discuss than it is to listen to. Ah. And I don't mean that as an overt criticism, because every time I think about the record or start listening to its challenging textures, it's quite thrilling. Yes, But I find it very oppressive. Mm. It's really depressing. Mm. It's a really bleak uh, sounding record, ultimately, which sounds strange perhaps because there is so much ingenuity in the in the singing and playing Mm. uh lol i think has been quoted as saying in the past you may not feel this way anymore he can't listen to it because it's so depressing really yeah and uh and i've heard kev say that they made a conscious effort after consequences to write about themselves Mm. rather than you know a, a fantastical situation which they had obviously on consequences yeah, it says
0: that consequences, consequences was all fantasy. Yes, and, and this was. And reality. this was a kind of like reality seen through their individual lens.
1: Yes, which is still, you know, unique. Yeah. Um, but it's 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 pretty. Uh, it's a kind of exhausting listen. Mm. Actually, it's pretty short, thirty-four minutes long. Yeah. Which for nineteen seventy-eight was 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 short.
0: Yeah, it's and, almost a kind of a, a 60s style album length, isn't it?
1: Yeah, that's right. But it, it, it after a, you know, um, you, you know, you feel you've, you've done a sort of a, a 10k run after listening yeah. to the, all of it end to end. It's it is a fascinating record. Um, recorded um, not far from where 10cc were working it was recorded in Leatherhead
0: that's right at Surrey Sound
1: that's right by Nigel Gray who's a big part of this record mm. um who was um almost contemporary to this i think just before he'd recorded Outlanders to Moore with the police and and was then going to record regatta de Blanc and went on to record the third police album as well although not at the same premises and uh, he deserves a lot of credit for the way this record sounds mm. because he uh, the, uh, t- fantastic um, engineer working in a sort of fairly Spartan uh, low budget environment, as mm. far as I'm aware, um, in this in this 16 track studio. I it think certainly is it certainly doesn't. It
0: certainly doesn't sound Spartan, does it? No, it sounds wonderful. And it's remarkable the the difference between Outlanders doing and demo and L. I mean, they, they couldn't be. More different productions, could they? No, they
1: couldn't. I mean, that really is one of the most thrilling-sounding British pop records ever made. Mm. The first two Police albums are wonderful. There's a quote somewhere, I can't remember, where Kevin Lowell was saying, you know, why, <laughs> why don't our records sound like that? And the answer is not uh, di- to be directed at the studio, obviously. You're not the police. It's to be directed at the band. But th- there was, I think they were influenced by the, you know, everything that was going on uh, there at the studio. So as I say, the, you know, the, the environment deserves quite a lot of credit for the way the record sounds. And it does sound beautiful, doesn't it? Mm. Um, when Godlin Cream Creme want it to sound beautiful, which is only for short <laughs> periods, because they want it to sound difficult. Mm. They're really exorcising uh, something.
0: There are m- multiple levels of exorcisms going on, I think, with L Yeah. Uh, a- apart from the obvious, you know, you've, you've got the post Ten CC angst, a bit of bile, I think, that, that that they're they're trying to bleed out of their systems with group life, for example, with. Hit Factory, Business is Business. And we'll, we'll, we'll come on to these, of course. Yeah. But, but of course, there's the, the, the kind of lacerating pain of Punch Bag, isn't there? Yeah, it's
1: a key track, really. That,
0: for me, that's the most difficult to, to listen to to, yeah. to, to, to my ears. Fascinating, but deliberately jagged. Like it's, like a mouthful of broken glass.
2: Four, four.
1: Uh, yeah, really good description, that, Sean. And also there's the looking back, not really with fondness, at the sense of inertia, perhaps, at the years spent at art school, in art school canteen. Mm. So... Um,
0: but at least there's some nice humour there, isn't there? There's a, there's almost a warmth to, to that trend.
1: I wouldn't call it warmth. I mean, it, it, it it's a nice sound, but... Um, Ah, oh, it's, difficult. it's difficult to describe, isn't it? Um, yes,
0: I know what you mean. And, and, and we, we'll have a listen, won't we, in a bit, uh, and, and, and try and illustrate how we, how we feel and what, how we're consuming that, that, that track. Right. I guess what first strikes you about this album is the amazingly simple cover. The title, L, the cover's just a simple L-plate. Ken said, didn't he, that they were effectively regrouping Mm. Did they throw everything away and start from scratch with this album?
1: I think so. Uh, They're going back to basics and being learners. It's interesting, um, recently, I think I mentioned on the Steve Hoffman group, they've just about reached L in the sort of long thread discussing Tennessee and Godling Cream albums. And there's Mm. a couple of people who didn't get the reference, Mm. obviously from other countries, they wouldn't necessarily know that the capital letter L is what's placed in a learner driver's car to symbolize that uh, to show that he or she hasn't got a full license uh, 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 and is a, is a sort of beginner driver and yeah. so so it's a very to anybody in england or in the uk that's a very well-known symbol um and i think it can only mean yep we're throwing away everything we've done uh, we're wiping the slate clean and we're starting again yeah
0: the back cover's interesting as well, All the that kind of collage of everyday objects and not-so-everyday objects that make the, the shape L. Almost mm. like a, a mood board. The dominant image, almost in the middle of, the, of the, the collage, is a snake from a snakes and ladders game. And that's an interesting concept in itself. Yeah, Maybe that's how they felt about consequences. I might be, as ever, probably overthinking it. But that's powerful.
2: Mm. On the face of it, and this is just an educated guess, we seem to be approaching the end of the world as we know it.
0: The first track on Elle, I Can't Help Feeling, is a, if you like, an emotional throwback to perhaps feelings that Kev in particular had at the end and the aftermath of consequences. I'm not saying that Kev felt suicidal. We know from talking to Ken how, how deeply disappointed they both were. Kev in particular had almost given up the ghost before the album was finished, hadn't he? He, 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 could, he, could, he could smell the writing on the wall.
1: Yeah.
0: And I, I think he, he knew that the backlash was coming. And I think he probably, long since bitten off more than he could chew. I wonder if sporting life is, is that emotional outpouring of desperation. What do you think?
1: Could be. Um, it also functions as, I think you coined this phrase, which is good, Sean, consequences in miniature. <laughs> it, it, to me, it always sounds like the story of Stapleton's breakdown and his kind of attempted suicide mm. that he, he didn't go through with. Almost. Uh, You do get the feeling in Consequences that the character is recovering from some kind of huge emotional event.
0: Yeah, and we never find out what it was. No,
1: it's quite nice that we don't find out, but you can certainly imagine that he's the protagonist of this sporting life. Although, as you say, forget the fantasy element, this could be a lot closer to home. And a lot lot of the darker emotions kind of ring much more personal than, Mm. than just a story song.
0: I agree. Before we look at the sporting life, I just want to share something a bit silly with you, Paul, and and excuse me the indulgence. Sometimes I have this recurrent alternate universe fantasy. Godly and Cream leave and do consequences exactly as we have it now. So Godly and Cream come back into the 10cc fold. Eric and Graham... Have both got involved in their their own solo projects too so they come back refreshed with a clutch of songs now I don't want to go too far into this because we've already discussed in an earlier podcast knowing full well that this just wouldn't work but in this fantasy pool the title track of 10cc's fifth album is The Sporting Life
2: The Sporting Life
1: Okay.
0: I think this is the, alongside Five O'clock in the Morning, perhaps. I think it's the best song, Ten CC never recorded.
1: Mm. What do you think? Um, yeah, interesting thought. I mean, I, uh, yeah, it's great. I suppose it could have been even greater if, if oh. Eric and or Graham had, had had put their input. Yeah, just into
0: tweaked it that ten percent more into into pop. Oh, yeah, but this is... And such, added their magic.
1: Yeah, but this is such a great song anyway, and I think it's my favourite song on the record, that, that it, it, it sort of doesn't need the attention, whereas maybe some other G&C songs could have benefited more, if you see what I mean. I think this one is a great piece of work it, it on really its own merits,
0: And, uh, dare I say, a, a, a prog rock classic. Yeah. Um, it, it's got so many classic elements of prog. I mean, it's, it's yeah, extended length lots of different sections, uh, different styles of music, instrumentally amazing.
1: It says, it's, sorry to interrupt you, it mm. says as much about the psyche as Roger Waters manages to in, in probably the whole two albums worth <laughs> of The Wall. Yeah,
0: it, it really is, and, and with wit as well. Yeah. That fantastic, jazzy opening with with the a, a smile on their face, I think, asking... Uh, maybe a self-reflective question are you bored are you jaded and don't
1: forget that the first five notes (laughs) are an echo of things we do for love sorry did i did i jump on you no not 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 at all it's got to be deliberate isn't it (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, and, and it's almost like that we're in a 10cc alternate universe, aren't we? Is like Back to the Future. You've got Back to the Future 1, which is, is the kind of more, uh, if you like, sunshine, the sugary 10cc equivalent. In film number two, when we go into the, the, the future and then back again, Mm-hmm. you go into a much darker world this is almost the darker world version of, of, of 10cc um, it, it's just just brilliant um, and it, it changes every literally every 20 seconds it moves into into different scenes different tempos different paces different levels of, of darkness and I love the way it builds towards that climax where the, the guy is literally rushing into the building. Yes. Getting in the lift to get up to the roof. You feel the tension and incredibly movie-like. It's just as cinematic as anything, arguably on consequences. Agreed. Um, and a, a music video for this song would have been absolutely stunning. They could have done it in, in Wide Boy style. Imagine that.
1: Exactly, but it's... Uh, um... Contrary-wise, you don't need a video because the movie's in your head. It's like a lot of their best stuff.
0: Yeah.
2: The keys, please, quick. Every second counts. I've signed the book. Give me the keys. The elevator opens his mouth. Like Jonah
0: and the whale. And They they managed this rich palette of of sounds, very dense production with huge bellowing delayed reverb, similar to what Eric had been using for a couple of years in the studio on things like I'm Not In Love. We we looked at the piano sound, didn't we, a few weeks ago, where you've got the the percussive element of a sound and then you get that wash of reverb splashing back at you. And they use it uh, with the knob turned to 11 on this track. And they, they use it throughout the album really effectively. It adds to the depth. It adds to the murkiness of, 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 of the protagonist's psyche. I yeah. think. Um, and every inch of the song is, is literally filled with textures. There's very, very little space. And for me, that creates a feeling of claustrophobia which exactly fits what the protagonist is, is going through. I think it's a wonderful production, this.
1: Yeah, and a beautiful performance and uh, on drums and beautifully recorded. Mm. And And I was Agreed. listening to the album the other day and it's, there aren't, many other tracks on the album where drums are to the fore in fact the full kit isn't used on a lot of the tracks there's mm. a, for the first time drum machine is used yeah so you could say it's one of kev's last great drum performances mm. because come freeze frame and after he got fed up with drumming didn't he he yeah. was like keen to use drum machines because that they were kind of easier maybe he'd kind of said some of what he needed to say but i love mm. the drum performance on this track
0: To driving, uh, clever, busy when it needs to be busy, sparse when it needs to be sparse. Yeah. Brilliant. And what a genius touch to get their diarist in to be the voice of the Bad Samaritans.
1: Yes, yeah. A great performance by Paul Gambaccini, probably relishing his his role. Yeah. Wait until there's a crowd below, give a little when you go. However, we
2: understand what you're going through. How you've travelled life's highway with your smile upside down. And now you think you've found the ultimate answer to all your problems. Don't be hasty. Why waste a life? Wait till there's a crowd down below. Give a little
1: when you go. That's um, very forward-looking. The idea of the crowd gathering would now be with their mobile phones, uh, waiting for this poor guy to jump. Mm. and 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 then slowly wandering off when he doesn't go through with it I, I love the the chorus admonishing the the guy to jump, and obviously that's very reminiscent of of the 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 guys in consequences jumping down the hole <laughs> um, and just the one. Uh, the guy who stayed behind uh, to watch the jump and everybody else has drifted off and, and the, the last person in the crowd left half-heartedly just says, jump. And, uh, <laughs> clear that he isn't going to be satisfied. In a Manchester accent. Yeah, he isn't going to be satisfied by this guy jumping to his death. It's really black, the humour. but
0: I, I agree. And, and Kev's overdub vocals really emphasise that the, the sinister sneeriness of that crowd. Yeah. I love it when where Kev's doing the call-and-response to Lowell's... Um, ..for
2: God's sake, get a camera...
0: ..and then Kev's kind of octave vocal goes... ..before yeah. the bastard drops, is brilliant.
2: Shout, 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 shout there's a 4K Send, shout, in the sound, ..someone the cops... <incompetence> ..for
0: God's sake, get a camera... Armed, shout, jump, the sure the Smack, drops. Throughout the album, there- there's... Lots and lots of vocals underpinned by a, a lower octave uh, Kev overdub. Right. Possibly slowed down so it's even deeper. Right. EQ, you know, with with maximum bass. And uh, we'll look at what I think is a possible recording technique on the album where they're emphasising that, that boomy bassiness even more. I think they've got um, a handheld mic literally pressing against... Kev's neck oh, okay. Um, and th- th- there's one track where you actually you actually hear him swallowing oh yeah yeah Sorry. which, which uh, you know can only be recorded in that way um, but it, it, it's absolutely brilliant on the 10cc records very often Kev's kind of underpinning all the vocals with those catchy hooky bass vocals uh, and here what he's doing is he's using the same technique but they used. To create a more sort of sinister atmosphere, looked in
2: for some action and they found it down the back street. Of you,
3: of me.
0: A great array of instrumentation on here, obviously lols playing the, the keyboard instruments the guitars the gizmo featured really prominently on this one very similar to the way the gizmo's used on the scarier tracks on consequences i think of stampede or, or parts of blint's tune or mobilization uh, where, where the gizmo's playing insistent panic-stricken melodies very very strong now uh, lovely to hear it used as a lead instrument rather than a sort of texture instrument on on many of the the other Ten CC tracks. Do, do
2: not do, do
1: not it was a curious time for the Gizmo, wasn't it? Because its big showcase with show with consequences had kind of failed, and during this period, obviously. Kevin Lowell didn't ever entertain the thought of playing live. Mm. But they did a number of promotional tours, sort of trade tours almost, I believe. They went to America at least once to try and promote the Gizmo. Mm. Um, So they were still actively pursuing that. I guess they had to. They put so much Mm. time and probably money into the project. But one gets a feeling that maybe the ship had already sailed. So they... I, d- I don't know. I don't know whether their enthusiasm for that for that project was waning already. Yeah, but
0: they certainly use it on this and the next <coughs> album, don't they? Yeah, and they—it's almost like they've got a healthier relationship with the gizmo now. They're using it on a lot of tracks, but not all tracks. They're using it more often than they did in 10cc, but they're not, they've are not they not been sucked into the gizmo vortex like they were on Consequences. It's being used in a reasonable way here, but okay. brilliantly well.
1: Yeah, they've kind of incorporated it into their arsenal of, uh, of yeah. instruments.
0: Yeah, and, and used it in, a, in sometimes a, min, a powerful but minimal way. Uh, we'll come on to Art School Canteen, where the gizmo is, is a perfect kind of solo cello. Mm. Really just g- gorgeous. You can almost believe it is a cello.
2: Art School Canteen
0: oh, yeah. Art School Canteen oh, yeah. uh, Of course it complements uh, the arrangement of that track superbly. Uh, I love the sound, the sound of Art School Canteen.
3: Mm. Acoustic
0: bass, which is so sumptuous and lovely, beautiful twelve string sound, the piano of course, and and the the subtlest congas played by Kev, Uh, beautiful backing track. And I think a nice melody too.
1: It's, it's probably the, the nicest and longest sustained melody on the record. Yeah, I like the use of instrumentation. Is that a 12-string acoustic guitar? I think it is. Um, and is it a double bass rather than an electric bass?
0: Yes, it's uh, guild acoustic bass.
1: Right. Um, ah, okay. An acoustic bass. Yeah. In fact, there's a picture. Same of, make
0: as the twelve-string acoustic, actually.
1: Right. There's a, there's a, f- a picture of Lowell playing the acoustic bass in, the in on the inside sleeve somewhere. I noticed. Yeah.
0: I've got the uh, I've got the gatefold inside sleeve here. Very right. very informative liner notes here, and and some great uh, tinted photos here of uh, of the boys in the studio.
1: I was going to say about the art school canteen instrumentation, is a subtle nod to at least the public perception, if you like, of the, of the jazz um, element, almost. Something mm. that would have been prevalent, perhaps, at art school. Yeah, It's kind of... Um, uh, I you think can, you that, can
0: smell the smoke, can't yeah,
1: you? Yeah, I think, I think that choice of instrumentation was used deliberately and, and it really works well with the track. Beautiful vocal from Kev.
2: Does getting into Zappa mean getting out of sand. Sex has rid, it's ugly head at last. But it didn't look ugly then. Begin the biggie. Art School Canteen.
3: Art
1: School Canteen. Uh, I've noticed when he gets really into a track, he often puts those little—I think you call them mordants, do you? There, certain um, uh, the coffee machine, those kind of extra, Mm -hmm. extra little vocal melodies that he that he throws on top of yeah,
0: kind of improv, uh, yeah, extra contours on on
1: on on a on a note or a range of notes, beautifully sung.
0: Yeah, and I I think there are little flashes of of autobiography in these lyrics as well. I'll have to read these lines with a wry smile on my face because I think it echoes aspects of, of Kev's attitude towards being in 10CC particularly. I'd cut my ear off to spite my face, but it's been done. Now, f- for me, A, it kind of reflects what, what we understand from Kev being fairly contrary, but I think... Contrary in the way of him being a groundbreaking artist, particularly at at this time, and and certainly with his his video work in in the 80s and later. Um, But it's been done. As we've said several times on the podcast, he had a mission to make sure that he achieved something new and the opposite of cliché every time he stepped into the studio.
1: Uh, excuse me for interrupting there, Sean. It, I, I'm sure you're aware of this. Is he not just talking about Vincent Van Gogh? He is.
0: Okay. It, it, absolutely. But what I'm saying is, I think that there's a there's an element there of autobiography because it, that sums up for me what a catalyst Kev was in the creative process, uh, going against what was there already, Okay. in order to to create something new.
2: I'd cut my ear off to spy my face But
0: it's been done no,
2: maybe that's too weird I'd better sketch it out on Code of Trace
1: And redesign my beard Do you think he's kind of missing, uh, you know, Eric and Graham to rub against, if you like, if that's, uh, you know... He's got lol who's on his wavelength yeah. but he, he sort of needs maybe he needs an antagonist or something mm. something to de he needs something to deconstruct yeah. as well as just construct his own definitely he, he
0: does need something to hit against right uh, and and that's where arguably his best songs his best ideas have come from haven't they right deconstructing yeah interesting um where i suppose with with godly and cream they start from the point of complete deconstruction, uh, and they're assembling pieces from the, the bits that are scattered all over the floor. Right. Uh, I love their imagination, Paul, uh, both sonically and visually, lyrically. They're g- great lyric writers, not always telling stories in a, in a in a satisfying or enjoyable way, but throwing words at you that, that, that do have a power. And in some cases... Um, very disturbing power. Right. Think of Punchbag, for example. We talked about that, didn't we? When we were looking at the the Jewish elements of Peter Cook's characterisation.
1: If it helps in any way, I am to blame for everything. Everything that has ever gone wrong in the world is my fault. I did the crucifixion personally. I bought the
2: nails. I acted alone. There was no conspiracy. Hiroshima was my idea.
0: I accept full responsibility and am willing to atone for my sins in any way and put that in writing.
2: Oh, shut up.
0: If my shutting up is of any assistance,
2: then I'm only too willing to do so. If I brought a note to school that said my days were numbered, they'd leave me numb and bleeding or strangled. My world, the birds don't sing, the bells don't ring, the bells don't ring, the bicycle
1: bells, the bicycle bells. Yeah, and well, since reading Kev's autobiography, which he again comments about being bullied at school, and you can see more clearly than ever that Punchbag, um, which is in a way the key to the record. Yeah. Because it's a very... It's a very naked song, really. Mm -hmm. It's simply about being bullied. Um, It's really brutal. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, the line bursting for the crap, they'll never let me have. Now, until recently, I just, I thought that was an aspirational thing, trying to get hold of the stuff that I'll never be able to get hold of. But I think it's actually more it's direct about, about than that. Not
0: being about not being allowed to go to the bog, isn't Yeah, it?
1: and that that is uh, a very visceral line. Yeah. And it's obviously something that was experienced. And deeply... It's uh, deeply unpleasant. Deeply uncomfortable, isn't it? It's bursting, bursting,
2: bursting on the crap I know.
0: And then, you know, at the end, there's that, that desperate please on his knees or, yeah. or maybe curled up in a ball on the ground. Yeah. And he's saying, can I please get up now? And then the chorus goes, no. And then that, that question hanging at the very end of the track, when?
1: Yeah, the rhythm's dropped away. You just left with that one-word question. Oh,
0: and it's, it's hopeless, isn't it? It's a, it's a hopeless song. <laughs>
1: Yeah, Uh, adorned with some really catchy guitar riffs. Mm. Um, Although not enough to make it, to to dispel that difficulty in listening to it. It's Mm. rather a difficult song to listen to. It It is. But uh, but I'm glad it exists. I mean, it's got strong parallels with something, um, with the sort of songs John Lennon was doing in the Plastic Ono Band album. Yeah. I mean, he did did a whole album full of that stuff. Mm. Um, um, And this is... Uh, perhaps you know the one song which, which really lays lays bare some of the early experiences I mean one assumes it's Kev's lyric uh, entirely but I don't know whether Lowell you know, shared in the experience um,
0: yeah he, um, he describes it in his in his book we'll, we'll look at a few other comments that he makes about uh, a small number of their solo pieces right and what he says about Punchbag is that there's distorted bass and stream-of-consciousness words about being Jewish and bullied. And that's an extremely concise way of of summing up, um, you know, uh, two sides of A4 of bitterness, angst and abuse, isn't it? Um, One of the things I find most difficult about listening to this song, even more perhaps than the lyrics, Mm -hmm. is the melody. Do they make it up at random? Because it doesn't seem to... It never seems to settle um, into any kind of recognisable repeated motif. Uh, It it goes off on these jagged shards. um, And you you kind of expect it to repeat those shards. But it it never seems to, apart from when it says fourth form, punch bag, which is a complete monotone. Yeah. which, Which kind of... Adds to the the, the the dynamism and contrast in the melody. Do you feel that sort of random melody going on here as well? Y-
1: yeah, I do, and that that fits completely with the, the the poor protagonist not being able to get a moment's rest or relief. Yeah, from his plight.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's the same kind of claustrophobic restlessness in this one as the as there the was with Sporting Life. We've got some very unhappy protagonists, haven't we? Yeah. Four,
2: four. I pray For strength to survive I torture us. myself in private To prepare me for the pain I talk to myself in public On the buses and the trains
0: Not quite as unhappy as uh, is the young couple in the car outside, uh, the girl's parents' house or in a lay-by somewhere, S- I don't know, snogging it in um, in a lay-by, Sandwiches of You. Um, interestingly, it's the very first track that Kev discusses in his, his final chapter, the B-roll chapter of his book. <clears throat> and what he says about Sandwiches of You is that it's their first percussion loop outing with mm. asymmetrical rhythms and peculiar instrumental solos. I, I know you're not a big fan of this track.
1: No, I, I can't get into it. I'm not sure why, but I do like your spot that it's reminiscent in some way of the first album. I think that, that's correct. Yeah. The guitar sounds and the subject matter.
0: Yeah, and perhaps uh, we hear Lowell's familiar kind of caricature voice, don't we? Yeah. Playing both the young lad and his girlfriend. Ooh,
1: So it's nice to hear Lol doing a lead vocal, but I just don't think there's a lot of substance to the song. and th- this was a single, was it not? Yeah. Um, uh,
0: yeah. Uh, and the only the only single from the album, if I'm right in thinking.
1: I believe so. I uh, didn't not surprising that, well, having had five o'clock in the morning fail, mm. I would have been amazed if this would was a bigger hit than than that, for example.
0: Yeah. I uh, think that there's a nice uh, quite a nice groove going on. Uh, you know obviously the the, the looped percussion. Which they could have only done with physical tape loops again. Yeah, it must have been very difficult getting the exact precise timing on those on those loops. <music> Upfront, in- intrusive acoustic guitars strummed extremely staccato and quickly mm. jumping out at you
1: that is the hook really isn't it that it that is... fast strumming yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> you, you you got that silly pitch bend
3: oh my God. sandwiches of
0: Kind of adds a bit of comedy. This was my favourite track, actually, um, probably on the first few listens when really? I was when I was very young. Yeah, there was something really fun about it, and I love the chorus again. That really strong double-tracked Kev deep vocal. I could it. Brilliant! What a sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the great contrast between Lols' voice and Kev's voice on this one. Always good to hear the two of them singing on a track. Um, and I guess this is the start of a gradual process, isn't it, of Lowell singing less and less and less on subsequent albums and Kev being pushed to the fore as yeah, the main and, Yeah,
1: and, and as we believe that was completely at Lowell's own behest, it wasn't that Kev uh, dominated uh, against Lowell's wishes. Lowell wanted to step back for whatever reason.
0: Some great and clever harmonies uh, in, in the middle of the song. Uh, my favourite section is uh, the girl character responding to his, his, his lusting suggestion that they, they pop round to the, the local for um, some nuts and beer. And then she says, Oh, my papa, he will not approve. I really love the harmonies on that section. Right. Thanks. Thanks. Oh,
2: my papa, he will not approve. Platonic. I respect the fact that you're waiting for Mr.
0: Oh, really unusual chords being used. Sort kind of all, it's jazzy in a way, um, but so original. I can't think of anybody else who would have been doing harmonies like that. Mm-hmm. And there's so much of, of that kind of use of harmony across the record, certainly to my ears. Tons and tons of great use of percussion. Uh, on the album. Uh, I love the way xylophone and Glockenspiel are used, uh, and, and this is, is so typical of extremely quick playing uh, by Kev. And in, on some tracks, you've got impossibly well synchronized xylophone, uh, doubled with things like piano. So tight, it reminds me of, of that random messy section from Blint's tune where they chop the tape up
1: Do you think it employs the same
0: Possibly, they might have uh, I was listening in the car on the way up here and I was thinking, well how could they have done that because there are very clear, distinct notes happening, maybe they did little phrases of two or three notes Mm -hmm. in in different rhythms and then they very, very precisely chopped those up Um, I, I just I can't see even with their brilliance as musicians, that they would have been able to get those sounds to match up so, so exactly. Right. There's a, a track on, on L that tends to sort of slip in one ear and out the other for me um, in foreign accents. feels improvised to me. With a, a a nice kind of gentle drum machine-y type backing, but the sax is annoying a little bit. It's just there's nothing going on in terms of interesting chords or melody for me.
1: Yeah, it's an, an experiment, isn't it? Yeah, a, an experiment sort of, which is just directed outwards at the public, I think, because they wanted to um, they wanted to put it out like that. Who plays sax on that? Is that Andy, Andy McKay? Andy Mackay, right? Yeah. They were working closely with um, Phil Manzanera at this time as well, weren't That's they? That's right. There's an album which I don't believe I've heard, and I'll need to listen to, uh, Phil Manzanera 801, which I was surprised to learn somebody on the Facebook group posted it recently that Kevin Lowell appeared on four tracks mm. of the nine on that album. Yeah. Um, there was some talk about... The, they were part of a collective that recorded that album anyway, and there was some talk about Kev Lowell and Phil... Forming a band, or maybe it was all part of the same collective. I'm not. I'm not sure. Wow. Are you, are you I didn't if, know that. Yeah, we need to have a listen to a couple of those tracks where they are credited with uh, vocals and Gizmo, I think.
0: The remaining tracks that we've not talked about all seem to be commenting directly on their experience, their feelings about being in 10cc and not being in 10cc. Uh, Mostly a very, very negative impression. Whether that's slightly dishonest, whether they're being a bit disingenuous, I can't tell. But we do get a glimmer of a compliment in group life, Mm -hmm. where Kev is saying that he's playing bass and getting bad blisters on his fingers. But there's a a line uh, near the start of the song where uh, he's saying, "On a good night, when the juices flowed, we cruised." Um, but everything else about the song is very negative. Yeah. You've got that direct sample from from Donna as Lowell sings it in a similar way to the original, but with a just a slight edge to it. Donna, you make me break up. You make me break down. Am I crazy? Am I mad? You know, it, it's it's like these are these are nightmarish flashbacks, aren't
1: they? Yeah, when I first heard this record, that song really made an impression on me. Not the song itself, which I still find very forgettable, the actual music. Yeah. But it really depressed me, really, that the, they seem to be so fed up and upset with <coughs> the whole experience. Yeah. There's a good night
2: when the juice
1: Having invested um, a lot of time and, I suppose, thought uh, and energy almost into 10CC, it really came away upset that they they just seemed to be so down on the whole experience, at least at that point. Mm,
0: I know. I'm fascinated. Looking at the lyric sheet, uh, this must be unique. They've got two... Sections of the song are actually presented like a like a spreadsheet. A table. Yeah, it's like a spreadsheet um, where it's got layers of different theme stuff. Yeah, where from left to right you, you've got a progression uh, of kind of getting bigger, better, more ambitious, perhaps more scary. And here's an example. Uh, this is the, the top row of spreadsheet one. Mm-hmm. Recording, mono. 4-track, 8-track, 16, 24. And then the next row down, tours, clubs, vans, crew, rig, heap big production. So there's this this sense of getting bigger, 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 bigger. Next, holidays, Blackpool, Antigua, villas, weekend, when. You know, there's a a sense that their holidays get more expensive, they've got their villas that they've perhaps even bought. And uh, in the final one, you know, when are we going to get a holiday?
3: Well, mm.
0: yeah. The, the other spreadsheet, and sorry that if this is a bit geeky, but I find it. No,
1: this actually says something quite important, I think.
0: Yeah. It's really interesting that they've chosen these, these words to represent their, their experience in 10cc. Second spreadsheet, from left to right across the top, recording, Grundig. Maybe that was their first tape, tape recorder that they used to record yeah, demos on. Right, right. Uh, Revox. Thiak, Dolby, Helios. And of right. course Helios is the make of the, the wraparound desk that we've seen so many pictures of. Yeah. Uh, thanks to Peter. Press shock horror probe split Yes. <laughs> you know and what does the yes mean there?
1: Is that a triumphant? Yes. They've escaped from the machine. I don't know. It's really interesting. The track itself is a bit of a dirge. Yeah, but there's... Visually, it almost works well as a kind of... as a a mini piece of autobiography written down. Yeah. Uh, Those those things you just mentioned there, Sean, are they kind of in the lyric, but they're overlaid on each other? Or are they lyrics in the song, or do they not appear at all? They're kind
0: of... They're throwing them out one after another, sort of left, right and centre in a stereo picture right um sometimes you get lol's high voice sometimes you get kev's lower voice loads of reverb on them so you don't really hear them very clearly but they're all they're all there
1: i know this part right four track (laughs) fans
2: yes yes
1: I know this part, I'd never really listened to those lyrics, but just suddenly seeing the lyric sheet or seeing it again makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You know, that the music here, strangely, is very reminiscent, and perhaps we can have a listen, to, um, uh, what's the song called? It's a song called On Evita, I think it's called Rainbow High, mm. where they're talking about the accoutrements that Evita is to have, you know, on her tour uh, of the world. And then after she dies, all she's left with in the coffin are these are are the same accoutrements almost. So, but musically it's quite similar. Might be worth comparing the two. Definitely,
0: we'll we'll find it out and perhaps put an extract in the podcast. (laughs) The final bit of, of my little sort of spreadsheet analysis here. Sorry, okay. I, f- I feel like I'm giving a, a, a presentation sort of at some awful breakfast uh, meeting <laughs> at work. This is interesting because it seems to be tracking Godly and Cream's business uh, interests here. Listen to this. Hologram, interesting, possibilities, gizmo, film... And then dome. I don't know what dome refers to, mm. but interesting that they, it goes from Gizmo into film, which of course is their is their very next move. Exactly what happened. Literally, yeah. the, the 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 very next year, they're getting stuck into their first music video, which we'll talk about very very shortly.
1: Right. Well, wasn't this about the time and the, the key that unlocked that career? I think I'm right in saying just a tiny piece of consequences was used, was it a Benson and Hedges advert? Yeah. Um, and that that was a, was a little pivot, and after that point they, they were able to sort of move into mm. eventually video. I wonder, wonder whether that had already happened at this point.
0: Right, probably did. So they did.
1: might be talking about that.
0: They, and uh, I know Kev said he was very, very excited uh, about that. Uh, and if only they'd had something like that in the can to project in that church in Amsterdam if if they'd managed to render the highlights of consequences as a as a movie yeah uh, i mean when you look at the, uh, the the mondo what is it the something mondo project
1: mondo video is it yeah. is that what it's called
0: yeah mondo video which i think was their very very last project together right at the end of the 80s and they were doing all that extremely odd but often fascinating video montage and and, and strange uh, video compositing uh, effects. If if they'd had that kind of approach Mm. uh, at the time of consequences, uh, we'd have to be shot on film, of course, at that time. uh, That launch could have gone very, very differently indeed.
1: Yeah, if they'd only been able to bring a fraction of their visual Prowess or yeah. what became that talent at the early stage, it would have captured the imagination.
0: Sure, not that they had any ounce of energy uh, or, or stamina or, or possibly enthusiasm at that time. Right, right. Because just the, the sheer physical the physical process of producing consequences would have exhausted them wouldn't
1: it Uh, sure but particularly in that setting that ken was talking about the 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 church the chapel in which that presentation Mm. took place if they just had some kind of visual uh element to it it could have could, could have could have been marvelous yeah It, it is an, such an irony, isn't it, that the, the visual side, even to their own records, they, uh, many of their best records never had any videos yeah. associated with them.
0: Yeah, it's so surprising. They, I think they both said that, that as teenagers, all they wanted to do was make a movie. Yeah. And they were mad on it. They used to get their, their cine camera out, didn't they? Well,
1: their very first project was Dracula, wasn't it, when yeah. Lowell was hired as... Was it Igor or <laughs> Kev's Dracula film when they were nine or ten yeah. or something?
0: Yeah, it's interesting that, that it took all that time for for them to uh, for it to click, and crikey, how well it clicked! Mm. The final two tracks on the album continue this sort of cynical uh, and biting regurgitation of aspects of their time with Ten CC. I, I have to say that. I, I find the last two tracks, both Hit Factory and Business is Business, pretty unfair uh, given what Ken Aliphant told us about their, their close relationship with him, the level of support that he gave them to create whatever they wanted to create for however long they wanted to carry on, at whatever length, whatever cost. No pressure on them to write hits, I don't think directly. Yeah, there was a the disappointment that *Consequences* uh, did so badly commercially, but here we—they're they're singing. We're all working in a hit factory.
1: Yeah, but hang on—I don't think they're—I si- don't think it's criticizing their record company, or I believe they're just talking about the, the wider record industry, not Do you? What, not what they're doing, perhaps, but what they have to compete against. Right. That, that's the way I see it.
0: Okay. Yeah, so maybe I'm reading too much into this, aren't aren't
1: I? I don't think it's an attack. Um... No.
0: There's some great little uh, lyric touches in Business is Business. Quite catchy, I think, actually. Uh, In almost a kind of a dark rap I love where Kev's saying something in the chorus burns a hole in my pocket it, it's just really good it's it's so cynical but it but there's a there's a tongue in cheek there I think I don't think it's all
1: a rant yeah that's what I was trying to get across it's not as dark as some of the other songs
0: no I agree
1: I love the opening of this track it's very cinematic that kind of Fumbled, distorted, uh, obscured sound—is everything put through a Leslie or something? That that that. that You're talking walked, about the, the piano, the walked, the piano sound. sound. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. It's it's almost like a a perverse regurgitated version of the piano that Lowell plays in "I'm Not in Love." It's got similar yeah. effect on it, but there's it's twisted with uh, maybe the butterfly echo that they use. That, that kind of theremin sound on Burial Scene, where the gizmos uh, right. fed through the butterfly okay. thing, with a, a deliberate um, lump put on the tape spool so that it creates this kind of. Uh, kind of uh, this irregular kind of lumpiness.
1: I, I love the image, to me, it conjures up the image of a kind of dystopian Brill building where yeah. there's people locked <laughs> into nightmarish cubicles trying to come up with songs and the big Sven is walking around, with, mm. yeah. you know, not quite, mm.
0: yeah. yeah. With a, yeah. with their mic pressed to their throat. Yeah, it's,
1: it's wonderful that part.
0: Neil Sadaka with Darker spelt D A R K. Oh, very good. Hey. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> But, yeah the, 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 there's good imagery here I like the start as well and then that the, the gradual build of the the kind of drum machine intro uh, and, and bongos uh, and that very insistent sort of half half spoken half rapped half sung vocal by care hmm. brilliant
2: spare, Just into a melody, it. Up from the Just playing on your I'm don't know how to block it Something in the chorus burns a hole in my pocket And I can't
0: feel it We've already talked about that, that sharp finger pointed possibly in the direction of Eric and Graham, possibly, as you're saying, towards what they despised about the blandness of what was in, in the charts mm. uh, with M.O.R. is good, M.O.R. is safe. MOR is
1: you I think the fact that they the last phrase is MOR is you that's the one point I kind of detect a deliberate finger point at 10cc Mark II that's what I'm hearing maybe we're reading too yeah. much into
0: hopefully they're not directing it at, at their audience
1: who knows yeah. bile's flying in all directions by then isn't it so it's dif- yeah. difficult to say
3: mm-hmm.
0: what do you think of the, of the last phrase of the album Paul, is it kind of, you've got a, a lovely kind of almost Glenn Millery type sax arrangement and a gentle vocal saying, maybe you can think of a way to turn me on.
1: Yeah, well, first off, I love the musical phrase itself, which comes out of nowhere and points back to uh, goodies in the pipeline yeah. as, as a way to finish That's a this analogy. album yeah. uh, as opposed to o Effendi or the very last seconds of it finishing sheet music
2: Maybe you can think of a way to turn me
0: on. Yeah, we think the song ends on a very jazzy beboppy Glenn Miller, Beatles ending sixth chord, A flat six we, we think is the chord uh, and, and that very Gorgeous, soft, almost big band horn sound. Very much at odds with everything else on the record. Yeah, exactly. Can only be tongue-in-cheek. Well, we're trying to get our heads around what... What they mean by maybe you can think of a way to turn me on.
1: It's not sexual in the slightest. No. Do you it, think it,
0: it's it's Kevin Lowell speaking to each other about where their next idea is gonna come I from? I think so.
1: It's maybe you can maybe I can find inspiration in what you're doing and vice versa. Maybe you can spark something mm. for me or with me. That that's mm. that's they seem to be at a bit of a loose end, a bit of a crossroads. And yet yeah. they're, they're looking for inspiration going forward. That's mm. the impression i get and yeah. it turns out that that inspiration um a, a, another album down the line notwithstanding was just around the corner which was their career as, as filmmakers or yeah. video makers
0: definitely but before we get, we get to that point how do we feel in, in, in hindsight, Paul, about if we try and imagine Kevin Lowell's attitude to this album, how would it have felt f- from them in terms of their view of their career, their mental health, their sense of, I don't know, self-esteem after consequences, after the, let's face it, the humiliation of having their love child mocked and, and see it kind of ignored in a massive way. And rem- Clearly that sorry, go on.
1: No, sorry, I, I beg your pardon interrupting. And just I was going to say that remembering we know more about what Kev felt because he's the one who told tells us. We don't really know what Lowell felt because he he tends to keep his he hasn't said as much. Yeah. But we imagine it's both of them reacting in, you know, to the to the inverted commas failure of consequences. Yeah.
0: Do you think this is a successful rehabilitation for them?
1: Uh, it's more uh, something they had to work through. Um, probably served its purpose in that mm. you know they are they are artists. They they had to create something to express themselves, and yeah. they expressed their disappointment mm. and difficulty. I think with yeah. L.
0: And are they are they doing it in a more tangible, realistic way than they they did with consequences? Or is it less than what they did on consequences?
1: Uh, I think it's c- closer to them, isn't it? I mean, they've mm. said, and it, you know, it rings true that they were writing about themselves.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: maybe for the first time, they might have been forced into that almost by mm. circumstances. But they do seem to be writing about themselves. Yeah. Um, rather than writing fantasy,
0: even though that that prism is is pretty distorted, isn't it?
1: At that point, yes, and that might be why. Uh, Lowell particularly was, I mean, as I remember reading an interview with him, right around the time of Ismism, which is okay. It's three years later, yeah. But he singled out L as being it, that he couldn't listen to it. Mm. I, I think he said something like, this some good ideas on that album, but I can't listen to it because it's it's too difficult, too depressing,
0: too raw." Do you think? Yeah, do you think too- that the emotions are laid too bare?
1: Uh, possibly too too recent at that at that um, yeah. at that stage. Yeah,
0: I think it's a fascinating record.
1: Yeah, I do, and I see we've had no difficulty talking <laughs> about this, and yet it's it, it kind of it's got a weight to it, and it be, uh, even after thirty four minutes, it um, it becomes difficult because of the, the, everything that's packed in there. It's, it's fascinating to yeah. talk about. love talking about it.
0: That's right. Uh, and I always have a hunger for listening to it. I always look forward to listening to it with relish. But by the end of it, like the, the, my car journey up here, where I, I listened to How Dare You, followed by this. Right. Honestly, by the end of, of L, played at, at very high volume in the car. Yeah. Uh, I was almost ready to give Paul Gambaccini a call. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, on that note, let's... Um, Let's refresh our palettes, Paul, and, and have a look at... They're equally interesting, but arguably not quite a satisfying third album. So, freeze frame, Paul. What an opening track.
1: Yeah, I mean, Freeze Frame as an album, it's not as strongly felt as L. Um, and to be honest, many of the tracks I find forgettable to the yeah. point where, although I've listened to them quite a lot in the past, when I had to go back and I didn't have a very strong recollection um, of a lot of them. But there are two brilliant songs on this album, which I think I prefer to any individual songs on L, and The Opener, an Englishman in New York, is an absolute masterpiece. Mm. Uh, Certainly a contender for their best ever solo song along with Five O'Clock in the Morning, in my opinion.
0: I think that's a fair point. It could, in many ways, be their best single. Even though it's not as good a song as Five O'Clock in the Morning, there's something so dramatically different about it. Hooked up with that amazing video, frankly, I'm, I'm... amazed it wasn't a hit in britain as it was a hit in other countries around the world
1: yeah just looking at these stats here it was a hit in germany 25 australia 17 netherlands 7 and belgium 4 yeah and i'm surprised it wasn't a big hit in the uk i know even leaving aside the video uh it's a it's a really fantastic song with a with a brilliant slightly brutal lyric aren't the lyrics brilliant the lyrics are
0: fantastic and And strangely written by lol not kev
1: yeah again we're probably victims to you know because kev shows and tells more and has that kind of personality we could um we fall into the trap of assuming that lol does the music inverted commas and kev does the lyrics but that's not true who was it that told us that Lol wrote the lyrics? Uh,
0: I think it was a Facebook group comment. It might be hearsay, right? Uh, but the but the person was it seemed to be you know for quoting a credible source. Yeah, possibly Lol himself. Uh, I think that they're, they're, they're brilliant. It's there's something twisted. I Realistic. It's like a, a, a kind of perverse travelogue of New York, isn't it? The sort of seedy, unseen New York.
1: Tiny details. Yeah, it's not entirely negative, though. You get no. the, the, the person, uh, the protagonist, is enthralled by what he sees. Yes. Despite it being a sort of a cavalcade of, 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 of difficult uh, images and yeah. it's full of kind of. Um, Broken people or sort of dangerous situations. I yeah. love it. It's and it's musically, it's just a f- fabulous song, changing key mid-verse, yeah, ascending um, and then dropping back down um, to its original point. Mm. And it, it's just, it's a fabulous song. You know, it, it's uh,
0: very catchy chorus,
1: very catchy chorus, and the great,
0: the, the superb horn riffs, and and and, and that. Lovely light xylophone.
1: Yeah, the, the the horn riffs uh beautifully depicting the the yellow cab drivers smashing their, their horns, mm. you know, to, to to you know aggressively get people out of the way. Stabbing them in, in an odd meter or in an odd place in the yeah. bar. It, it's it's just it's a it's a great it's a great track.
0: Yeah.
2: Stranger You've
0: never seen strange apparatus, even stranger theme. Dark imagery, dismembered, you know, veterans queuing for sleaze. Sorry, no dogs, no fags, no shriners, and no amputees. Cruel, isn't it? Yeah. Kev says his favourite line is from one of the, the later verses, where he's talking about two miniature Romans running on rails appear every hour and banging the nails.
2: Blug like your daughters! Avon Crawling. The Emoted Collectors of Paraphernalia I'm walking the rock Battling a bitch For the ultimate kitch Of a crucifix
0: A fantastic visual image that uh, and it, it all builds up this extremely absurd, surreal image of New York, doesn't it? Mm. So mm. visual. Uh, and it would have it would have made a good montage style video as well as the kind of weird surreal performance piece that they've actually eventually committed to take mm. I love what Kev says about their utterly joyous. First, first experience of making a video, they were lapping it up, weren't they? Like puppies. Yeah. Um, like children uh, uh, saying, what does that do? What does that one do? What, what, what does this do if I press this? Uh, what happens if, you know, and, and they, they, they're clearly just absolutely loving that that first exposure to the filmmaking process, yeah, and, and they were hooked from that moment. I think
1: there. they nominally were only, they were they were only allowed to do it by sort of installing a director, yeah. But he, as I understood, was fairly summarily shunted aside <laughs> as soon as uh, Kevin Lowell sort of learned how to work. Yeah, they took over, didn't they? Particularly in the editing suite. Yeah, and the the that video is, you know, considering it was made on a shoestring budget. Yeah, it really holds up. You know the way it freezes frame—no pun intended huh. it's kind of Kev tilts his head and looks to camera. Uh, you know the power of the edit is is implicit, really, in their their first their first video. It's yeah. really and, really clear.
0: And again, using effectively videotape loops by replaying the same bits over and over again. Yeah. Uh, and they're obviously using their their powerful editing skills in a visual way. Uh, the the, the the actors dressed as dummies playing the brass instruments is just inspired. Yeah, yeah. Almost uh, Doctor Who-esque. You know, I think of sort of Doctor Who episodes of old. Oh, yeah. Just to scare the hell out of me. Yeah, it's...
1: slightly nightmarish. Yeah. yeah.
0: But, but brilliant. But there's, there's a, a kitsch sort of humour in the video as well. Kev's kind of almost cabaret presentation and Lowell's inappropriately cheerful <laughs> uh middle eight. It just doesn't fit, but it, it's it's inspired.
2: Walk tall, walk straight, spit the world right in the eye. The stronger the
1: wood, the straighter the arrow. Walk tall, walk straight and look the world right in the eye. Harking back to Valdin's <laughs> walk tall, which we sort of is this too obscure reference, we note that Valdinigan was one of the, the earliest uh, Guys, was it on the Mercury, on the Philips label? That's
0: right. That, that Ken was talking about putting out those early pre recorded cassettes. Wasn't a kind it?
1: of almost quasi label mate of, um, mm. of Godly and Crean themselves. I don't know whether that's a direct reference or just mm. something they remembered from, well, not their childhood really, but from, mm. from, from, from earlier on.
0: I like you thinking, Paul. I think you're guilty of a bit of, uh, of my overthinking, the overthinking there. Overthinking yeah. It's, yeah, right, I'm yeah. with you 100%. Yeah, so uh, the album can't possibly recover from starting so strongly with, with with that incredible track. Really, if I'm honest, there isn't much that that sticks in the front of my mind uh, with Freeze Frame. I, l- I love the sound of it, and I like some of the individual tracks very much, particularly the, the, the final track, Get Well Soon. Mm-hmm. But the others tend to be deliberately opaque, and by that I mean... Kind of hiding personal feelings behind deliberately abstract lyrics. They're almost using words like blobs of paint on a canvas mm. without particularly thinking about any emotional f- effect on the listener or conveying any truth. Um, the lyrics sound good and look good as kind of interesting poetry. Christoph.
1: Abstract, I think, is the word here. Yeah. I think they'd kind of done that on L. They're they're, they're more in, they're back in the lab mode here. They've got their white lab coats on again. Yeah. I think largely um, they're satisfied with the texture uh, words as texture maybe rather than as meaning. The the one exception I think is freeze frame itself, mm. which is a track that I, I I knew but I I didn't really think about. And I rediscovered the album uh, not long ago before we started this podcast series, and that track really hit home. Mm. I think it's a brilliant melody and a brilliant lyric. Yeah, about a sort of a you know a, a dark memory of, of childhood. Mm. Um, you know, chewing is it chewing the, the bars of the cot. And the, the um, air being thick was scale With scale electric. Electric. That's a great rhyme
0: Asleep in baby lotion <laughs> Oh yeah, I'd forgotten that Yeah, one. almost like you're drowning in, in, in baby lotion
1: Yeah, it really uh, it re- Very um, evocative of, yeah. Sort of disturbing memories of, of early childhood Yeah <laughs>
0: Strange imagery, this repeated image of uh, of going down like a thermos flask thrown from a train. Yeah,
1: where does that come from? No, I don't. Why is, is it a thermos flask? Is it a filmic image, or is it something that uh, was? Is it something that um, they saw happen, or, or they did? Yeah, know, maybe
0: in a tantrum, he, he threw a flask of hot chocolate out of train window. I don't maybe. know. But uh, this things being thrown from a train is a re- recurring image isn't it You've yeah the cream songs. you're
1: right actually there's har- at
0: least three songs
1: yeah certainly harks forward to a, um, Under Your Thumb of course among-
0: that, that's right like <laughs> a
1: Amongst others, the, the, the image of um, again the plane crash, this mm. time the United team, it, it might sound like a, a crass image, but I do wonder because he's also thinking about childhood imagery and sound memories. Mm-hmm. That might have been something 1958 was the Munich air crash, wasn't it? So yeah. it might be something that Kev heard in his room on the radio or something.
0: I don't think it's... Yeah, and he'd have been in his mid-teens, wouldn't he, at
1: that sort of no, point? No, he'd been in his, his early... He, he... What, what year did you say it was? Uh 58, wasn't it, so he'd have only been 10 or something like that. <laughs>
0: And he certainly would have been old, old old enough to be fully aware of. Yeah. That so
1: uh, I mean, you know, there's a way we're supposed to respond to tragedy, and a visceral way that we actually respond to tragedy. Mm. And and I think this is a more honest reaction. I don't think it's a heartless, crass.
0: No. And I've always, uh, I've always kind of taken it as a as a as a crass bad taste joke really I don't
1: think it's intended as a joke I Mm. think it maybe is connecting with that memory again I'm assuming Kev and I I apologise to Lol because it could well be his lyric I don't don't know Uh, the lyric I absolutely love on this um, there's no way in and no way out and room to fly my kite in Mm. which I think is a very profound lyric I take it as that is life you know, mm. uh, of which there's no way into or out of, or you know, we all know that the only way we're going to get out of here, <laughs> there's no way out of here alive, etc. Mm. The room to fly my kite in is almost uh, that's the, the creative space in which one can indulge his or her passions, and that's all we have, and that's what the protagonist is is going to do. I think it's a fabulous lyric that I, that I never noticed for so long. We-
2: no way in And no way
1: out
2: And the space to fly my kite
0: Powerful personal imagery there, isn't there? Yeah. What do you make of the, the repeated line in the sort of chorus where he says, you go ahead and I'll follow my phobia down? What's he talking about there? And I'll
2: follow my phobia
0: Is he leaving it to us to to guess what his phobia might be? Or does he give us clues elsewhere in the lyric?
1: Hmm. I don't know. It's an interesting Uh, one.
0: Answers on that postcard again, please, folks. Yes,
1: yes. But a really good track. And I love the verse melody. It's it's long and loping. Mm. And um, again, perhaps a little too dark to... To be a hit single, but it's a, it's a great track. And again, the 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 use uh, deliberately that the loops almost like the record jumping mm. for almost as long as you can mm. hack, and then and then it kind of skips back on its groove again. I think it's a brilliant track.
0: Yeah, yeah, and of course the the. the Title track of the album, Freeze Frame, yet another uh, reference directly to, to video and, and, and film. Yeah, uh, and Clearly they're, they're, they're thinking like virtual filmmakers at this point. I think Random Brainwave has its moments. Great vocals with uh, Lol's voice really to the fore. Vocals produced incredibly dryly. With, with no reverb on, very, very upfront and again those really interesting close harmonies and of course the gizmo really up front playing a very, very prominent role.
2: Static alphabet, rigid stabbing monotone There's positive or negative but no in between
0: It reminds you of something, doesn't
1: it? Yeah, that riff is, uh, particularly the way it's placed, uh, the accent is placed in the bar, and the melody of the riff reminds me of the Boston Rag by Steely Dan.
0: OK, I'm going to I'm gonna have to dig that one out.
1: Yeah, it's very similar, ah. which they must have been familiar with, I think.
0: Yeah, and normally we associate Eric with Steely Dan, don't we? Because I know, you know he's a huge fan of their production techniques. Yeah. We, t- we tend to think of... Lol and Kev in terms of their fondness for Zappa, maybe the Beach Boys and, and fine art. Yes. I've no idea what Random Brainwave is about and maybe it's just about a random brainwave.
1: It's a sad little song, isn't it? Yeah. It's like nobody noticed how sad this brainwave was. Mm. Jazzy stacked harmonies, as you say. It, it, uh, in, in my opinion, it's a kind of very distant third favourite on the album yeah. to Englishman and Freeze Frame. Yeah. How
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, you wanted the cocks, too busy probing the pleasure centres of dogs to get near me, get near me Nobody noticed the difference in the read, out the sadness in the answer, the twist
0: in the logic, leave it in the hands of fate. I Pity Inanimate Objects would kind of be a favourite of mine if it was 30 seconds long. Because I think that technologically it's incredible, with that uh, that that use of the of the device they use to literally pitch bend. Kev, who's singing in a monotone, mm-hmm. and Lol, who's singing for him, using a keyboard.
1: Yeah, I love the idea of the experiment. It, it's it's a brilliant
0: idea, and it's, it's so, so akin to what we hear every, every bloody five minutes on Radio 1 uh, with autotune, and how autotune is now being used as a, a, a kind of a stylistic device mm, yeah. to make voices sound almost robotic, uh, they're doing it here, you know, in the late 70s. Yeah,
1: it's 30 or, f- well, 40, 30 years ahead of its time, isn't yeah, it? Yeah,
0: and it sounds very digital, doesn't it? Plastic
2: Santas <laughs> in perpetual <laughs> The water snowstorms Sculptures that appear to be moving but aren't I feel sorry for them all
1: Yeah, the f- I mean, the first track I can remember where auto-tune was used as a deliberate device as part of the record and I could be wrong here but I remember Believe by Cher
0: yeah and that
1: was late that was a sort of groundbreaking record and that was late 90s we'll
2: that it takes time to it.
1: but they're using a harmonizer here right yes it's. it's I think uh, it was called a harmonizer that the machine at that point that's it's,
0: right and it's, it's obviously very, very good at its job. Yeah. Uh, and Kev is literally just singing that that monotone with some interesting poetry that is akin to some of the imagery that's going on in Englishman in New York uh, with kind of bizarre, surreal, or, or sometimes sinister, sometimes mundane, but, but interesting imagery. For example, I pity inanimate objects because they can't move, from specks of dust to paperweights or a pound note sealed in resin plastic santas in perpetual underwater snowstorms
1: uh, i admire their empathy with inanimate objects because i actually or I their put, lack
0: of empathy well no
1: i think they're sh- no, i think they're they're showing genuine empathy there i i get frustrated with inanimate objects uh, when they don't do what I want so I, I, <laughs> I really, often
0: swear at yeah, them
1: Yeah, I really admire Kevin Lowell there For
0: highlighting their plight Their
1: plight, yeah I think, it, I think it's a good lyric, yeah
2: But my good heart <laughs> of the least No choice for sugar But what's as good and happy But to drown in coffee Or to drown tea The frustrations of me In Annabelle
0: but it just this one just goes on too bloody long, in my, in my mind. Yeah. Uh, it would have been brilliant as a kind of a little aside mm-hmm. where, you know, literally half a minute you think, crikey, what was that? Mm. And then it's gone into something else. But they, they sort of overused that, that moment, Inter- I think.
1: Interesting point, I never really thought of this. Do we think, and we can expand this out to any 10cc, do, do any of the songs start as lyrics? Poetry, if you like, which then have music written to them. Was that ever the way they operated? I've never really heard about it. No,
0: we, we, I'd dearly love to get Lowell and, and Kev in a room and, and ask them about the writing process. I'm fascinated by Kev's contribution to the writing process mm. because he comes at songs so often from a conceptual point of view, doesn't he? Right. Or breaking apart the the existing idea. Um, Lowell... Uh, is you know apparently has that, that that gift for melody and that's what he tends to bring to to songs, but here it, it, I don't know. I'd love to know where the chicken and egg go. Hmm. They must have had notebooks with scribbled lyrics and yeah, ideas. One would imagine. So. And I imagine loads of sketches as well, doodles. Hmm. Um, some of these do do come across as as even poems that might have been written out in full englishman in new york could well have been a you know an extended poem yeah could. who who knows possibly uh, and you know it's so coherent Yeah, so pound for pound again a bit like l paul side one has more to offer i think for me as a listener just like l did just like bloody tourists has um and not many of the tracks on side 2 really uh, touch the sides with any particular strength for me,
1: I'm looking at the four <laughs> titles, and again, even though I listened to the thing yesterday, I'm struggling <laughs> off the top of my head, and I'm sorry to remember which is which. Yeah, I, just... and I've
0: got I've got the same kind of thing as as I did with side two of Bloody Tourists here. Oh, okay. We're gonna give ourselves a, a very very brief retaster. <laughs> Clues is a, is a nice, interesting way to start side two. In, in a few ways, we both think that the guitar riff and the chorus effect that they put on it sounds a little bit like Andy Summers, doesn't it? <laughs>
1: yeah, it sounds like, the, um, obviously, they're working with the Grey Brothers or with Nigel Grey again yeah. down in Leatherhead and uh, maybe they're sort of, um, yeah, remembering Message in a Bottle, which uh, must have yeah, predated this album because that was on The Police's second album, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, it sounds like Andy Summers for a few seconds and then it goes back <laughs> into art, art rock territory again.
0: Yeah, and and Lowell's kind of repeated chorus, and I, I, I'm i doing my finger quotes here because with, with a lot of godly cream stuff, it, it's sometimes hard to kind of pin down what a chorus actually is. Yeah. And I think they almost deliberately avoid them sometimes. But when he's singing... Hear no evil, see no evil... It reminds me of the wind in Consequences. Right.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: And I wonder if they, if, they, if there were similarities in, in the way they achieved that. Mm-hmm. Um, Kev talks about it in his book. Um, I think he's singing down the same pipe that they blew the saxophone, the, the guitar down to create a saxophone okay. effect.
1: I must have put it in the van and taken it from uh, <laughs> yeah. from Stockport down yeah. to Liverhead. <laughs> <laughs> Has has anybody... He'll have an interesting attic, won't he, Lyle? Has anybody written in yet and and told us what the lyrics are to I am the wind and I'll blow you away, that that
0: bit? Very few people respond to our request for information. (laughs) They're more often asking us for the information. We don't know. We're just here with two blokes chatting on the internet. We don't know the answers to these questions. Um, But it's good. I I think, uh, melodically here, especially with the kind of guitar and gizmo uh, riff... Get uh, quite quite dark and edgy reminds me of how dare you the track how dare you okay I, I don't know what it's about this song and i go back to what i was saying before about the sort of L- lyrical obscurity about a lot of this album. Mm. It, it doesn't hit home. The words are, are, are almost irrelevant,
3: mm.
1: aren't they? Yeah, I think they've, yeah, they've, they've retreated back into their kind of laboratory again. Yeah. I don't think they feel the need to emote in the way that they did on L, perhaps. Yeah, generally, it's, a, it's almost
0: like abstract art, isn't it? Yeah, yeah,
1: nothing wrong with that. But, yeah.
0: Yeah. A bit of Jackson Pollock on the on the back cover of, of L. Right. Uh, and, you know, if you ask him, you know, what does that what does that red block mean? And he'd say, well, what do you think it means? Right. And that's kind of what Godly and Cream are giving us, isn't it? It's like you make your own interpretation of this.
1: This might be the kind of record that they would have made, perhaps, had they never have met Eric and Graham. Mm. It seems to be a comfortable space for them. Yes. A kind of very uh, arty... Abstract approach, possibly. Yeah,
0: but it's interesting that they start in their kind of Frabjoe and Runcible Days. they sounded more Dylan E Simon and Garfunkel.
1: Yeah, you're right.
0: So you know, I mean,
1: that's that's you're right, and that's worthy of investigation. Maybe
0: they maybe they didn't have the musical vocabulary then to translate their their brilliant abstract art ideas into music, and maybe they had to be within the 10cc. Uh, melting pot in order to bring out the, that artisticness.
1: Possibly.
2: It's interesting
0: that in Space Cake, Kev highlights only two songs from Freeze Frame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's infuriatingly thin, in terms of what he's giving us on his thoughts about their whole solo career, uh, you know, with the albums. Two tracks. One is the I Pity Inanimate Objects, which we've talked about, and the other one is Brasilia. I'll read out what he what he says because it sounds a really enticing idea, this. Um, it's a sort of precursor to WWB, in other words, Worldwide Band, which kind of morphed into UDO, his, his concept of having this amazing worldwide collaborative, interactive video where you could collaborate with the guy next door, uh, celebrity musicians and a guy in Outer Mongolia, Mm -hmm. kind of simultaneously. Brilliant idea. Uh, He's saying that he, Lol and Phil Manzanera from Roxy, each spent time alone in the studio adding reactive solo parts to the backing riff. None of us knew what the others had done until it was all played back together great idea. Uh, Of course, they're they're reliving the the Voodoo Lounge, aren't they? Yeah. It makes it sound like a really interesting experiment based around a Smoke on the Water riff in the Pink Floyd Money Time Signature 7-4. Is it?
1: No, I think yeah, that those two things you just mentioned are the most noteworthy thing about the track but this is going back to Lowell's mode of operation, which seems to be the doing, is the thing—the the the, the running of the experiment—and then you know we just we put it out there, and if if you like what we've done, you do, and and we move on to something else. I mean, there's a lot to be said. It's it's true artistic expression as well, isn't it? Mm. But yeah, it, it doesn't. I don't really connect with this song at all. In fact, we just played it again to remind ourselves what it sounds like, having only played it a matter of hours before. Yeah, and I honestly can't remember from from play to play. That's not the point it's, of it's, the song. It's very
0: repetitive. There's certainly loads and loads of, of instruments on it. On the, on the inside sleeve, they they do the instrumental credits in a in a lovely visual way, right. where you've got um, photo icons uh, uh, of each sort of musical role. You've got a, a single mic for lead vocal, multiple mics for BVs, for example. Then you've got like a guitar, a bass, xylophone, glockenspiel, etc. And Brasilia. Uh, has the, the three of them um manzanera with a with a guitar but both Kev and Lowell having a, a huge number of, uh, of instruments. Lowell's got something like a dozen different elements there from hand claps and, and there's even a pair of lips there. Yeah. So what's he doing? Is he breathing or kissing or I don't know. Fact, making so, making funny noises?
1: so many that he's got to go, go, go across the page there. In an L shape. In an L shape. Yeah. In fact, those little icons there remind me of, you know the video they made in, what was it, 1986 for the remake of Don't Stand So Close To Me that the police remade as part of their greatest hits project. Yeah, a long when time they, since I've seen that. When they had this ridiculous idea to re-record their greatest hits and I think they only got through a couple of songs. They did Don't Stand So Close To Me yeah. and Kevin Lowell did the video mm. which I seem to remember had icons of... Uh, attributes associated with Sting, Andy Summers and Stuart Copeland sort of moving across the screen, and that's very resemblant of what the, what they're doing there.
0: Yes. It's a lovely visual way of of, of, of doing a, the standard job of in a inner sleeve, isn't it? I've not seen anyone else do it. No,
1: it's, again, their creativity it knows no bounds. It, it sort of it pops up everywhere, doesn't it?
0: Yeah. It's a shame that creativity doesn't quite reach... What can I say? Songs that... ..that grab you with a hook, grab you with a melody, grab you with a chord sequence that move, that raises your pulse in some way. Yeah, I just... It's, uh, this is art for art's sake, isn't
1: it? Uh, very much so. That's That seems to be what they were going for here. I, I find it interesting, it it, it just it, as a concept, that they can do something as, as kind of, you know, knock you dead as Englishmen in New York and then these experimental pieces on the same record... Mm. Um, but they, they, they didn't want to do an album's worth of Englishmen in New York. Uh, mm. they, um, I think they, they could have done something like that if they'd put their mind to it, but that wasn't where their, their headspace was no. at that time.
0: And they like reinventing themselves, don't they, on, yeah. a, on a daily basis. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: Mugshots. Mugshots.
0: Mugshots is one of my least favourite tracks on on the album it's like a bumpy ride along a really annoying dirt track (laughs) with a a not very nice melody Um, I can't honestly I can't think of anything, uh, anything positive to say about it
1: the thing that strikes me about this song is the sort of melody that flowers and is repeated towards the end and that's almost the last sighting or one of the last sightings of Lowell's I assume it's Lowell's Doris Day type influence. The last kind of final echo. You know, the the red dwarf once. You know, the dean and I's exploded, and all that's left <laughs> is a kind of bit of dark matter. It yeah. just reminds me of, the, of that kind of musical theatre thing. But it's there's not a lot of energy left uh, in the writing anymore. But it, it's do it, you see what I mean? It's got that kind of show tune. Uh, element, but the, yeah. there's not much. There's not much of it. Left.
2: I know you know there's a mug in the shot.
1: Yeah, it reminds me. I don't know why it reminds me. Of, it reminds me of Kid Creole and the Coconuts. I don't know whether it's a particular song or it's just a vague similarity in the feel. Yeah, a bit Stool Pigeon. Yeah, there's something there. <laughs> but I mean, by the time you get to hear in the. In the album, you seem uh, you've travelled a long way down that dirt track you're talking about. From an Englishman in New York, that seems a long time ago, and it's only it's only a matter of minutes before.
0: Yeah, and you're kind of dazzled, aren't you, by the by the lack of clarity. Uh, in in what all this means? Yeah, you're a bit
1: worn out. Yeah, I
0: mean, some of the sounds are, are incredible, but the the lack of melody or the randomness of melodies and lyrics kind of numb your brain a little bit. It, it
1: gives you just it's like walking around an exhibition, you know, and you want to exit through the gift shop at this point. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, uh, fighting the temptation to shout bollocks at the top of your
1: voice.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: There are little hints in what Lowell's contributing instrumentally to this track that kind of hark forward to what Trevor Horn would would quite soon be doing with with his team at ZTT with Art of Noise, particularly. Uh, there are little samples that remind me of some of that early stuff, you know, close to the edit and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't surprised when LOL joined Art of Noise. Mm. I think there was a good match of sensibilities there. And here, you know, we we can listen to a clip that just gives a little forward clue, I think. Right. But I've absolutely no idea what it's what it's about. I like some of the the, the, the imagery, and I like the, the you know the constant reference to film here. Shoot me in black and white. Bring me the prince tonight. I know you know there's a mug in the shot. I don't know what he means by that. What kind of mug? Face? Idiot? A cup? Give me a hint of style. Give me the cray profile. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> I'm scratching my head.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Don't know.
0: But we come to one of my favourite tunes, and I, I, I get the feeling it's, it's not one of yours, Paul. The final track it is light and fluffy, but I think it sounds gorgeous, and it's one of my very favourite Kevin vocals.
1: Yes, it's, it's, it's really soft, isn't it? It's yeah. Really, it's really, yeah, quite tender.
0: Yeah. a Kind of a, a, a wimps version of what he'd, he'd, he'd do a few years later in Snack Attack. You know where he's quite literally uh, lying on his back with extreme back pain, isn't he, mm. for snack attack? Uh, doing the whole vocal lying on the floor, and here he's—I'm not, I'm not sure how autobiographical it is—but he's kind of trapped in his bedroom, feeling rubbish, listening to the to Radio Luxembourg go in and out. Yeah, I—I uh, I, I really love that that image, and the, the kind of gently. Drifting and shifting backing track Okay. Uh, with synths and, and all sorts. I think it's terrific. I wrote away to radio,
2: Caroline. I need to hear your saddest reggae song. And I'll want like a zombie in it, tear up my hippie tummy let chocolate buttons
0: limbo under my tongue Nice little obscure lyrics thrown in. I had to look up Ippie Tombie, because mm-hmm. he's tearing up his Ippie Tombie ticket. And it turns out that that's a, a Zulu musical that did the rounds in 1974.
1: Maybe maybe that's uh, something he had literally had tickets for and couldn't go to because he was ill. Is it? As, could it be as straightforward as that?
0: Yeah, it might well be. You know, a true story. And uh, he says, "Let chocolate buttons limbo under my tongue." <laughs> maybe they they had a lot of limbo dancing in the musical. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's a nice kind of uh, That's a, a nice little surreal visual image, isn't it? There.
1: I do like at the end where the. Uh, it's almost like the um, his radio has been on so long that the batteries run out and it's it's ever ready heart stops beating. Or I something. love that. Yeah, it's it's it, it's a little throwback to inanimate object. It, it, it's it's mm. kind of the uh, a little prayer to the is in this case his radio. Yeah, he's kind of uh, empathizing with 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 the radio while he's downstairs gaining sustenance by eating food and recovering from his illness. it's yeah. a really it's a really clever little little punchline, I agree. punchline within the song.
0: Yeah.
2: Today when I was downstairs eating It's ever ready, heart stopped beating Was it just coincidence? Who knows?
0: There's some gorgeous textures here. I, I think that's a picture of a gizmo there and, and I think the gizmo is doing that almost sick sounding but generally um there's a lovely thick soft sound to this and i know i'm I'm always complaining about the lack of sort of coherent chord structures in Mm. some of the more abstract godly and cream stuff this one's got a very very lovely interesting chord progression Mm. but answer me this can you identify where paul mc McCartney is actually. You nearly right? said. I did. I almost <laughs> said your name, Paul. Oh dear, I was spending too much time with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where's he singing, and what's he singing?
1: It's Paul and Linda, isn't it, on this track? Yeah. I can't. She's not credited. Oh, is she not? I no. beg your pardon. I, I, yeah, I listened again yesterday to hear Paul, and I couldn't hear him or Linda, and, mm. and maybe that's because she's not there. But no, I, I just can't pick them out, so they could hardly be said to. Be sort of trading on the fact that they had the most successful musician in the world on the track i can't hear him but he's he came down to the studio and and sang backing vocals yeah uh
0: and and again this is another thing that we we urge you please uh to let us know where where you spot his voice we're normally good at spotting these things we we
1: think maybe we're listening in completely the wrong place so please just tell us Give us a kind of a code, encode, you know, minute and seconds yeah. where you hear Paul singing. Is
0: he singing two
1: oh eight? Fabulous. Could be. Is that where it is? I don't know. Mm. Mm.
0: Kind of interesting here that that if if we see these two episodes of our podcast where we've had Deceptive Tourists and we've had the, the two... The, the parallel Godly and Cream albums. The second of those, on both sides of that alternate universe, both feature uh, a McCartney influence, don't they?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, obviously, we're, we're, we're harking back to our, on bloody Tourists. Yeah, take these chains, isn't it?
1: Yeah, uh, which specifically was Linda, I think. Yeah. Didn't she... Come up with an opening line and challenged Eric to write a song about it. Is That's that it. is that the story?
0: Or it was just something that she, that she said to him that he found memorable and powerful. Right, right. Yeah, but I just think there's a nice kind of a, a gentle irony about the fact that McCartney's kind of in both camps. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, and a gentle influence. You know, he's he's there. A, a, they're mutual admirers, aren't they? I'm fond of both of these albums. Uh, I I find both of them more interesting than Bloody Tourists. Mm -hmm. And I know you you must think that I'm being a a little bit churlish and, you know, how could I possibly? I like the experimentation. Part of me would love Kevin Lowell to take on board a bit more of that standard pop sensibility that Graham and, and Eric have in spades. And, of course, by the same token, I'd love... Eric and Graham to have just a little bit of a dollop of, of weirdness. That's yeah, obviously why I love 10cc. Yeah, so we've much. been
1: through that. It was called 1973 <laughs> through 1976. Yeah. Those four guys were in a band called 10cc, and that's yeah,
0: it reminds me about what Jonathan King used to say about Phil Collins and Peter Gabriel mm. solo. Yeah, he said he, he wants Phil Collins to be less commercial, and he wants Peter Gabriel to be more commercial.
1: Yeah. Yeah, solid commercial instincts there, he, he had a good point.
0: Yeah, obviously L is, is my clear favourite of the two, but I wouldn't want to be without either of them. And obviously we're going to go further forward into the 80s to look at Godley and Cream's other projects, a few musical projects, some more successful than others, some more heartfelt than others, you, you think. Uh, we were just saying before that we're not sure how hard they worked on, on some musical projects. And of course we can't avoid their amazing career as, as video directors. But I think from over the next weeks and months, what we're gonna be doing is, is dotting around a little bit. We feel we haven't done the early years particular justice yet, and we've got a lot to, to say about what was happening in Manchester, what Graham was up to. Uh, the Hotlegs project.
1: Oh yeah, we're going to go in the we're going to get in the Delorean and, and go back <laughs> not to 1955 but maybe to 1965. Yeah. Um and and discover some of the pre 10cc recordings and uh, and writing which uh, w- which is absolutely marvellous in some cases. I'm really looking forward to that.
0: Yeah, me too. Thanks again for listening, folks. See you next time.
1: See you guys. Bye. <laughs>
0: You've been listening to the Consequences podcast, produced by Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy.